Well, good morning. Come on, people. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Much better. Much better. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. It's going to be a great day today. I do have a couple announcements uh, before we jump into all of our normal stuff. The first is we started something new this morning uh, that I'm super excited about. And that is we have I posted it online yesterday. We've now set up a prayer room right over here to my right and your left of the stage. And so we're opening the prayer room up at 9.45 in the morning on Sundays. So if you want to come and be a part of that, uh, you can come and pray with us. We pray for the service. We pray for our city and our community. But also, each week there's going to be a couple in our church family there to also pray with you. So if you personally need prayer and want someone to come and lay hands on you and pray for you, your situation, we invite you to come. And let me tell you, I was in there this morning. It was awesome. Uh, it was wonderful. We used to pray every Sunday morning, gathered up before COVID, and then we stopped because of all the, you know, you know, the craziness of all of this. So being in there this morning, it was great. Uh, so I want to invite you to, to join us in there. And then also, we have youth every Wednesday night, and we've been doing it at the Heavenly House, but we're switching it to the church building. So starting this Wednesday, we will have youth here at the church at 6.30 p.m. I know it's closer for a lot of you, uh, but also uh, a number of different reasons. We can talk to you about that. Just so you know, this Wednesday, we're switching it. It'll be here at 6.30. 6.30 p.m., right, Brooke? Youth here at the church? Yes. I always get it wrong. I, I think in every email it says 7 p.m., and then Brooke has to correct me. I don't know why I think it's at 7. Maybe that's because my youth group growing up was at 7 o'clock, like my whole life. But either way, 6.30 this Wednesday. Well, don't want to... Waste too much time today. Um, I tried to cut down the, the talk a little bit because there's a lot I wanted to cover today. So, you guys know, bondtrustful.com, that's where our connection cards are, and that's where we're giving if you are online. And here, if you're part of us uh, in person, you can also give online. We do have connection cards in person, but giving is still all online right now. So, you go to bondtrustful.com to do that. Today, we are in 1 John chapter 2. We are walking through the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. We have Bibles. So we we'll open them up there. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. God, I pray that my words would not be my own. They would be directly from your heart to each one of us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and receive from you what you want us to receive today. God, I pray that as we open your word, as we read your scriptures that are alive, that are powerful, I pray that they would cut in our hearts. We reveal what we need to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, First John chapter 2, the title today is Love the World, Hate the World, Which Is It? So, we're going to look at a few different scriptures that John wrote that can seem like they contradict one another. Called to love the world, and we're also told to hate the world. They're not love the world. So, which is First John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 and then 15 and 17. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself, Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all 
or strength. And we can be sure that we know Jesus if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Now look at verse 6. Uh, we're going to talk about verse 6 quite a bit today, but also, this is kind of a marquee verse in our church family. Uh, one of the things that we discuss, I say all the time, is that we're trying to become more like Jesus. That's, this is where that whole concept idea comes from. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. The end is the NLT that we read, uh, which if you did forget your Bible, we always have Bibles in the back that you can grab. The NIV here says those who say they live in God or claim to live in God should walk as Jesus did. Should walk as Jesus did, should live their lives as Jesus did. If we claim to know God, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, this is our aim, this is our goal, this is what we're shooting for, to live our lives like Jesus. Verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. The truth of the commandment to love one another completely. And you are also living it, for the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Let's we'll skip it down to verse 15. John writes, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. John says we are to live like Jesus did. See, Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his life for it. He lived the truth of the commandment to love one another. We are to live like Jesus, we are to walk like Jesus. What that really means is we are to love like Jesus loved. But we're also to not love the world like he didn't love the world. See, Jesus loved the world, but he didn't love the world. Which is it? It's both. It's both. So, John 3.16, right, it's the marquee verse for Jesus' followers. Talks about the love that God has for him. God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. This marquee verse for Jesus' followers is all about the love that God has for the world, all about the love that Jesus has for the world. He sacrifices his most loved son. Jesus gives up his life for the world. Well, in John 3.16, and in 1 John chapter 2, when it says that he atones for all the sins of the world, the world in that context is people. It's us. It's broken, messed up people who've made mistakes who are in need of a Savior. When he says love the world, he's talking about loving people. God loved us so much, he sent his son as a sacrifice so that we could have eternal life in Jesus. That's how much God loved the world, and we are supposed to love the people of the world the way that Jesus loves the people of the world. Then we have another verse, you know, we read a few moments ago. First John 2. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do 
you don't have the love of the Father in you. So we're supposed to love the world like Jesus loved the world, and we're not supposed to love the world like Jesus did not love the world. So let's clarify what this means. Loving the world means loving God as people. When God says he loved the world so much, he sent his son, he's loving people who are not following God, loving godless people. Jesus loved the world, he loved godless people. If we're to love like Jesus loved, we are to love godless people. What that means is we're to spend some of our time, some of our energy with people who do not follow Jesus. Living like Jesus means spending some part of our lives eating with and fellowshipping with godless people. Because that's what Jesus did. When we look, when Jesus walked the earth, he hung out with sinners all the time. He ate with sinners. He partied with sinners. He hung out with them. He loved on them. Then he says, do not love the world. And so when he says, do not love the world, it's talking about not loving godless things. We are to love godless people, but not love and pursue godless things. Sadly, so many Christians get this wrong. They get it backwards. So many Jesus followers, Christians, get this backwards. They love godless things and hate godless people. They pursue godless things and they hate those who don't follow Jesus. We're to love the world. We're to love godless people. And we're not to love the godless things that this world has to offer. Now, so many Christians get this wrong, but that is not our story. It is not going to be our story. That is not us. Vine Church family, we are on a mission to live like Jesus, and that means loving people like Jesus did. And I've seen you do this as a church family over and over and over again. See, Jesus lived on this earth with people on his mind and people on his agenda. Our mission, our agenda as Jesus followers is not things-centered, it is people-centered. We're to live with people on our mind, people on our agenda, not accumulating more of the things the world has to offer, but instead loving the people in the world the way God loved us. Another thing about how Jesus lived, read a moment ago in verse 6, we're to walk like Jesus did. And I think in this day and age, and what we're facing as a uh, currently society, culture, what's going on, pandemic, politically, all that stuff, uh, as I was reading this, studying this, and praying about this, uh, I feel like another key aspect to the way Jesus lived that's important for us to understand. And that's that Jesus lived local. Jesus lived his life local. Jesus was God. He had all the power. He had all the power that he had when he was in heaven. He had access to that while he was on earth. But he loved, healed, prayed for, ate with, partied with, taught, and ministered to the people right around him. Godless people and God-fearing people right around him, living next to him, locally. Jesus, who was 100% God, didn't concern himself with the politics of the day. Jesus didn't concern himself with the powerful leaders of the day. Jesus did not use his power, did not use his miraculous ability to change the hearts and the minds or to wow the Roman Empire. He lived locally. Those people right around him. He loved, healed, prayed for, ate with, parted with, taught, and ministered to those that lived next to him, or he could walk to locally. So we are to love God's people right around us, the people around us. 
We are not to let pursuing godless things get in the way of pursuing godless people. We are to pursue godless people. See, Jesus, he left the safety of heaven. He left the perfection and all. He left his home and went to a place that was not his home to pursue people who did not follow Jesus, did not follow him. We're to do the same thing. Right around us, those locally around us, we are to pursue godless people. Loving godless things so often gets in the way of loving godless people. What are the godless things that get in the way? We read it a moment ago, 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16. We read the NLT, but I'm going to read it now before we jump into these points uh, in the NIV. Because I just like how concise the New International Version is uh, in these verses. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If you want to love the world, love God is not in them. For everything in the world, right? So here we go. We have, we have three godless things that we so often get caught up pursuing. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three godless things get in the way of loving godless people. So we're going to dive into these and see uh, what these look like, and then also how we are to live in light of these, how we fight these, how we combat these. So number one is the lust of the flesh. And really, these are our passions. So often when we hear the word lust, we think of sexually, and lust is not just sex. It can be, but lust of the flesh is it's just anything that makes us feel good. It's when we place our feelings above the truth, or when we filter the truth by our feelings instead of filtering our feelings by the truth. The lust of the flesh, the temptation to place our feelings as the most important things in our lives. If you look around in our culture, in our society, I don't know if you've noticed, but our feelings have become like the ultimate bastion of truth. Well, if I feel it, it must be true. Because I feel it. Well, how do you know? What is it? Well, I feel it. And there's something in our culture that usually like that ends the argument. Because we're taught, well, if they feel it, then you can't argue with it. It's got to be true because they feel it. Can you, you know, it's like, when we choose to place our feelings above the truth, we always end up in the wrong place. What's happened in our culture, and so often happens even in Jesus-following communities, in church communities and church families, what happens is our feelings become our compass. Our feelings become our compass. And so we go where our feelings take us instead of where the truth takes us. So how do we do this? How do we fight the lust of the flesh? What we do is we choose to filter our feelings through the lens of Scripture. When we feel something, we filter it through the lens of Scripture. See, feelings aren't bad. Feelings aren't the enemy. There's been lots of even good, well-meaning not whole denominations and, and, and church communities and churches that have said well, we have to deny our feelings, deny our feelings, deny our feelings because they lie to us. So true. They do lie to us. But they basically negated the fact that feelings are from God. I mean, we were built to be emotional beings. God placed emotions inside us. We are supposed to feel. Feeling is good. It's a good thing to feel. But the problem, uh, the problem is when we are seeking things because they make us feel good, not because they are right and true. The problem comes when our feeling be, feelings become our only compass, and we just go where we feel. You know, there's been all, all, all kinds of, um, I, I'll say, division in the church 
the church in America the past couple, few months, especially with the election season. There's been all kinds of division. Some that say, you got to go this way. Some say, you got to go that way. You're not really Christian unless you vote this. You're not really Christian unless you vote that. And it's like, whoa, who's right? You know, it's like, the, the, what's happened is so much of it has become about our feelings. And I feel this, and I feel that, and I feel this, and I feel that. So we become to say, well, my feelings are my compass, and this is how I feel, and so the way you feel must be wrong. And no one's saying, what is, let's look at Scripture. We have to filter our feelings through the lens of Scripture. Good feelings and bad feelings. Good feelings and bad feelings. You know, uh, maybe God's calling you to do something and it makes you feel really uncomfortable. The uncomfortable feeling can be a bad feeling. I don't like to feel uncomfortable. Maybe you do. You know, I don't like to feel uncomfortable. But I can't allow my feelings to stop me from doing what God's asking me to do. So I have to filter my feelings through the lens of Scripture. Number two. The lust of the eyes. Now this is our possessions. This is the temptation to want more and more and more things that we see. We see something, we want it. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but most of the time when we want something, it's because we saw someone else had it. The guy on the TV, the family on the TV, the family across the street, so it's like, we saw it, and they had it, and now I want it. And so much of life it, it, it is caught up in the pursuit of more and more possessions. It's the lust of the eyes. I see something, and I want it. Lust of the eyes, discontentment, we could say. We talked a lot about contentment the last, you know, we, we talked about in December, last couple of weeks, talked a lot about contentment, discontentment. But lust of the eyes, discontentment, is really about what I have, but it's really usually about what someone else has that, that I don't. Now, Jesus said, a man's life cannot be counted or measured in the amount of his possessions. Yet, so often, that's how we measure our success. That's how we measure our worth, is in the amount of our possessions. You know, I said a couple weeks ago, we, we can't take anything with us to heaven besides other people. The only thing we can take to heaven with us is other people. Everything else is going to stay here. It's going to stay here. One day, this world's going to even pass away. The only thing we can take to heaven with us is other people. Jesus knew this. That's why living like Jesus lived is having people on our mind, people on our agenda. So how do we fight the lust of the eyes? How do we fight this desire to accumulate more and more and more? The only antidote to get, 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 get is to give, 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 give. So how we fight this is we choose to live generously. We choose to live our lives Generously. You know, so many of you did this as a church family. Not so many, almost all of us. You know, we did this in, in December when we gave to the One Day to Feed the World program. We talked about that. Over $3,000 as a church family in December alone to this one project. And what's amazing to me is so many times uh, in, in church world, whenever you do, you know, giving programs to, uh, to outreach and all this, you're normal, like every day what comes in on a weekly, Sunday, monthly basis goes down and the outreach, as the outreach giving goes up. And sometimes it's pretty comical. Not in our church family. In December, you didn't just give $3,000 to, to Convoy of Hope. You guys gave $3,000 above and beyond what we even normally bring in you know, as a month. Thank you so much for living generously in the midst of a pandemic. But I want to challenge you today with something a little bit further. We're to choose to live generously, not just towards God's family. 
Jesus generously gave himself for godless people. How do we fight the lust of the eyes? We choose to live generously towards the people in our community who are not following Jesus. I mean, we need to give towards convoy and, and missionaries who are furthering the gospel around the world. Absolutely, we need to generously give to them. But maybe, just maybe, we should also start thinking how we can live generously towards the godless people in our life. You know, people were on Jesus' mind, they were on his agenda, but not just the people that he was forced to be around. Sometimes we live, you know, uh, we surround our, we're surrounded by godless people that we're forced to be around, co-workers. Because we have to, you know? Like, we chose our workplace, but really, like, we don't really get to choose who we work with a lot. Like, the past determines that. But what about people in our, in, in our own neighborhoods, on our own street, that play, their kids play on the same sports team as our kids, or they're in the same class as our kids, or, you know, we work with them, uh, not necessarily in the same office, but in the same complex, maybe they're another part of, or whatever, but we're, we're to pursue people, we're to live generously towards people who are not following God. How can we bless those in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces who are not following Jesus? It's one of the ways that we fight the lust of the eyes. You say, you know what? My priority is not going to be materials, not going to be possessions. My priority is people. So how can I use the resources I've been given, the resources that I've earned, the resources that God's blessed me with, to not accumulate more things, but instead to try and impact more people? Number three. Third thing he talks about here, the godless things that we so often pursue, is the pride of life. What is this? It's our success. It's our status. It's the temptation to be, to be powerful, to be known, to be famous, to be envied, to be worshipped, to be in charge. That's the pride of life. Really what the pride of life is, it's, it's using our God-given talents, our God-given abilities to further our own selfish ambition. See, God has given each one of us a unique set of talents, a unique set of abilities, a unique set of giftings. And part of following Jesus is understanding that. Sometimes we don't even think we've been given any talents. You have. God has blessed you with uh, a personality. He's blessed you with talents and abilities that are unique to you, that are he created inside of you for a purpose. But so often we use those for our own selfish ambition and for our own gain. That's what the pride of life is. That we are pursuing success and status above people. So how do we fight the pride of life? How do we fight this desire to be power, to be more, to be in the worst thing, to whatever? What, how do we do this? We choose to prioritize the right things. It takes work. It takes energy to prioritize the right things. What are the right things? Number one, our relationship with God. We're to prioritize our relationship with God, spending time with Him, getting to know Him on an intimate level, being friends with Him, prioritizing our marriage. After our relationship with God, it's our marriage. If you're not married, it's, it's your singleness. It's our family, our kids. You know, we had a long discussion with a couple of our kids this week. Uh, they had gotten into a, a, a heated fight and it went a little too far. And we sat them down and talked to them about the importance of family. That your family is more important than this other stuff. It's more important than winning. It's more important than beating your brother at, or sister at a video game. Like it's more important than this. 
So you know what? Your family, we're going to be family our entire lives. It's choosing to prioritize the right things. What this means, sometimes this means turning down a promotion, turning down a new job offer, because what it's going to do to our relationship with God, our marriage, our family. What this means is looking at our week and saying, here's all the things that I want to accomplish in my week. And when none of those are furthering my marriage or bettering my relationship with my kids or bettering my relationship with my, with my God, I say, oh, wait, I need to step back and reorganize this. I need to reprioritize this week to, re- to prioritize the primary and the main things. See, I think our relationship with God is always there. You know, if we're married, like we're married for a long time, it's always there. If we have kids, you know, uh, our relationship, it's kind of like natural. It's there. So sometimes we forget to build the appropriate amount of time into our weekly schedule. And our weekly schedules, our weekly task lists, don't even include God, don't include our family, don't include even close friends that have become like family, because they just include all the tasks of the week. How do we fight in pride of life? Is we make sure and prioritize and schedule and organize our life around the primary things in life. A number of years ago, and I think I've talked this before, but I don't remember, so here we go. Um, a number of years ago, uh, I, I read this book by Eugene Peterson, and it was about you know, pastoral leadership and all this stuff. And he talked about what the primary responsibility of a believer is, the primary responsibility of a pastor, and he talks about one of those is prayer. And he said uh, what he started doing is he would develop his ideal week. He would sit down and ideally, Monday through Friday, or Monday through Sunday, whatever, here's my whole week, and ideally, here's the amount of time that I would spend doing my prayer and read scripture, spending with my wife, and then here's during the week, my weekly task at the office, here's how much time I would spend writing a message, here's how much time I would spend praying, blah, 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 you know, in your context, here's how much time I'd spend doing this at the work, meeting with my boss, or brainstorming on this, whatever. He, he would outline his ideal week. And then in that ideal week, he would include prayer, scripture reading, sitting and listening before the Lord on different days. And then when he had it scheduled out in his week, and someone said, hey, can you come and help me Tuesday at 7 a.m.? What If someone says, hey, can you come help me Tuesday at 7 a.m., and you respond to them, you know what, I don't think I can, you know, if your wife or your you know, husband or your kids, like, you know, I'm not exactly sure I can do that Tuesday at 7 a.m., i got to pray. The first thing people think is, like, well, you can pray any time. Right? Like, well, you, you can always pray. Like, that, that's not a valid excuse. Like, oh, I'm going to read scripture. Like, it's not a valid excuse. We say, well, I, I can't do it Tuesday at 7 a.m. I have an appointment on my calendar. Everyone respects the account, the, like, the, the appointments on the calendar. That's all you have to ever say. Oh, I have an appointment on the calendar. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Calendar, calendar's a calendar. Can't mess with a calendar. So he had put this weekly calendar and he built in the time for prayer. And what he really, he talks about the importance of organizing his week, taking a step back and looking, here's what I do in a week, and organizing it around the most important things. Spending time with his father, spending time with God, you know, Heavenly Father, spending time with his family, spending time with his wife, spending time with his kids. And then when everything else is reorganized around that, Say, I've got my priorities in order. How do we fight the pride of life? Making sure we haven't set our lives in a, down a path. We haven't set it up in a way where we can't even do the most important things. How do we fight the pride of life? Is we prioritize the right things and we reorganize our entire life around the most important things. A couple weeks ago, I think it was 
two, yeah, two Mondays ago, we drove over to, to Blue Ridge, Georgia as a family. We took a little uh, three-day vacation in a cabin. And about, it's a three and a half hour drive to where we were going. 30 minutes into the drive, kids start asking, are we there yet? I hate that question. I don't know about you. I hate, no, if we were there, we'd be there. Like, what does that even mean? Are we there yet? Are we still driving 75 or 80 miles down the, you know, on the highway? Yes, then we're not there, you know? So like, are we there yet? No, when are we going to be there? And so they just kept asking. So finally, we told one of the kids, like, we're going to be there at 4.45. 4.45 p.m. is when it says that we're going to arrive on the GPS. So before 45, like, we're not going to talk about it. Then I just forgot that modern technology is the way it is and sometimes can be super annoying because when you cross into Georgia, you are no longer on central time zone. You are now on eastern time zone. And so all of our phones, all of our watches, the clock on the in the car, everything changes over. And now it's an hour, it's now 445. It's 445! We're there! I'm like, oh no. We still have an hour. <laughs> you said 445! Why are we not there? Well, because there's this time zone thing. You didn't think of the time zone when you told me the time zone. Like, oh, okay, let's calm down here. Right? Let's, we are not there yet. But we're on our way. We just have a little bit ways to go. As we look this morning at Scripture and we see some of the things that we can so naturally pursue, I want to encourage you. You have not arrived yet, but you're on your way. And you're getting closer. If we say we live in God, we're supposed to live our lives as Jesus did. We all have some ways to go. We're not there yet. We have a little way to go, and that's okay, because that's why the Holy Spirit is with us. He's with us to guide us into all truth, to help us become more like Jesus. What does it mean to live like Jesus? To have people on our mind. The people that are in our, our, our marriages, our kids, people in our family, people in our church family, and the people who don't know God yet. To prioritize the right thing. What does it mean to live like Jesus lived? is to say, how can my life serve the will of my Father? Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to die, he's praying, and he's in such anguish and stress because he knows the, the pain of the cross is coming. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. What does it look like to live like Jesus? It says, God, not my will, but yours be done. To not pursue the things that make me feel good. To not pursue the possessions. To not get caught up in the materialism. To not get caught up in power and fame and to be to be known, to be what to be. I say, you know what? How can I live my life the way Jesus would live my life? If Jesus was Nathan Headley. How would Jesus conduct Nathan Headley's life? Say, not my will, but yours be done. How do you want me to live this life? And we've talked about it so many times, but that's unique to all of us. It's unique to all of us. If Jesus was in your spot, how would he live? That's what we're going for. And we are not there yet, but we're on our way. We're on our way. Every week, you guys know we talk about this. 
What is our next right step? Why do we go to this? Why do we do the connection card? Why do we say, what's my next right step? It's an acknowledgement that I haven't arrived, but I'm on my way. What's just that next step in becoming more like Jesus? Your next right step this morning might be to filter your feelings through the lens of Scripture. To not allow your feelings to be your compass. Your next right step with Jesus might be to live locally. Your next right step might be to reorganize some of your priorities. It might be to stop loving some godless things and begin to love some godless people. What's your next right step? We haven't made it, but we're on our way. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that my God is patient with me on the journey. Much more patient with me than I am with my kids when they ask me if we're there yet. He's abundantly patient. And as Peter says, he's patient with us. He's patient with us. He's got more to do. What's your next right step? Let's pray. And as we're praying, would you consider and ask God, what's my next right step with you? It's January 2021. This year, what is my next right steps that set me on the right path for the remainder of this year? Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for your patience. We thank you, even though we made countless mistakes. Like we talked about last week, you are always ready to forgive and set us on a new path when we come before you. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. I pray that this morning you would show each and every one of us what our next right step with you is. You reveal to us the things that we have been pursuing that are misguided pursuits. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you can grab the blue connection card here and here. And on the back of that card, it says, this week, I will. My next one said, this week, I will. And then we write it down. If you're online, VineTrustful.com is what your connection card looks like. Like on there, you put connection card. What's our next right step with Jesus? And we write it down for two reasons. One, it gives it legs. Put an action statement to it. What it does is it confirms that the Holy Spirit is inside of us and He's leading us because we know that He's guided us into a next right step. Then we also write it down so that our prayer team can be praying for you. You know, one of the things that we're very big on around here by church is prayer. We have prayer on Wednesday nights here in the building at 530. We have prayer before service, but also we have a team of people who pray during the week for your specific journey and where you're at. So we write those down so that we know what that is. And then, under that says prayer requests uh, on your card, prayer requests at the bottom. If you have any prayer requests whatsoever, we want to know about those. We want to be praying for you. We want to pray for your people in your life. We want to help you um, in that way. So, I want you guys to take some time. Fill those out, and then go grab your kiddos. We'll come back in here and have some time of worship uh, online. We love you, and we'll see you next week.